The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, folks. I am so stoked about this show, I can hardly contain myself, and here's why. You know, we just came off of the 4th of July holiday, and I love that holiday so much. I love the whole audacity, the whole idea that our country was founded by a bunch of people who said, you know what, this system of government isn't working for us. We can't even reform it. It's time for a revolution. It's time for something brand new. And I'm excited about this show today because I feel like we have two people who are those kinds of leaders, people who are saying, you know what, it's time to revolutionize American schools in the 21st century. We're ready for something brand new, something totally different and great that's going to benefit our society for generations to come. And right here, right here on Go Green Radio, you're going to hear from Trung Lee and Sarah Elizabeth Ippel. They are doing some amazing work that I hope gets replicated nationwide, worldwide, if our children are lucky. Um, these two pioneers are going to lead the way. So I am thrilled to have them on today, thrilled to have you joining us. I will give you a little little teaser here in the first segment here this morning we're going to announce a twitter contest so if you're up on twitter get ready to type in some fun stuff we're going to have a little contest a little giveaway so get ready for that well lee i am so thrilled to have you back on go green radio welcome back great i'm i'm glad to be back on uh, go green radio it's been a little while since you were on. The last time you were on, we had you talking about your book called The Third Teacher. And for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with the book and maybe didn't catch that episode, why don't you give us a little overview of what that book is all about and where people can pick up a copy? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of things has changed since uh, last time we talked, I think about a year ago. But um, we started this uh, research project called The Third Teacher, which is really um, our experience in working with uh, educators around the world. And uh, we collected basically a series of, of, um, of ideas, design ideas, that um, were beautifully brought together uh, with the design help of uh, Bruce Mile Design. But our intention is basically to get these ideas out um, to um, the rest of the world and um, to make transformative change in the way that we think about the learning and teaching environment. And tell us, because I, I know that people might be wondering, who or what is the third teacher? Well, the third teacher actually came from um, a speech uh, that Lord Malagusi gave, um, and he is uh, an educator and also a uh, child psychologist. He was one of the um, uh, many people that helped um, created the uh, Reggio uh, Emilia um, pedagogy um, in Italy. And in in that and in, in his experience and in his speech, he said that there are basically um, three teachers of children. Um, the first um, are the adults, um, the parents, uh, the teachers, uh, grandparents. Um, the second are their peers, and the third is the physical environment. And, right, and so 
um, literally the, the, the physical environment is the third teacher. So um, we felt that um, that gives us a, um, a great um, lead into um, sitting at the table with educators and kind of rethink what would uh, teaching and learning environment should look like, given all we know um, about um, the way that um, children's brains work and how they learn. And we think that there's um, now is a great time for us to kind of re-envision that learning um, environment, given a very different world that we all live in. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, folks, I recently saw uh, Lee's book, The Third Teacher, at my local Barnes & Noble store, but we have a surprise for you. Lee has agreed to sign five copies of the book and mail them out to the first five people who send me a tweet. If you want to get involved in this contest, all you have to do is hit me at, at Jill Buck. Send me a tweet right now, and if you're one of the first five who do it, you will win a free signed copy of The Third Teacher. Again, my handle is at Jill Buck. Let's go. If you're one of the first five winners, I will announce your Twitter handle online uh, right here today. Well, thank you so much for doing that, Lee. We really appreciate it. Now, as an architect, you could have gone into any number of focus areas. Why did you choose schools? Well, I think a little bit of it is, is still um, still still luck, uh, right? You come out of school and and you're trying to find your way through uh, um, the professions. And and obviously, um, my passion um, to go through um, School of Architecture was to create beautiful architecture. Um, I joined um, the firm, um, former OWPNP. We recently merged with Canon Design. Now we're Canon Design. But, you know, we started out, um, I started out just working on schools, and and, um, one thing led to another, and I find myself... um, in 20 years in a profession, um, really involved in designing schools, involving in, in great discussion with educators. And at this point, there's a, obviously there's a, a fundamental shift in my focus, which is really to work uh, closely with educator and sort of re-envision and rethink um, learning and teaching environment. Well, it's funny that you say that because based on what I've read about your work and what I've seen, you know, in in your 20 years of experience, what I can find even online, it almost seems as though you've got a degree in education as well as architecture. I mean, you're not just designing buildings. You seem to be creating learning spaces that reflect what I know to be the latest research in education delivery methods. I mean, like the multiple intelligences and, and all of that. Talk about your professional development path and how you've developed this kind of hybrid, unique design philosophy. Yeah, um, well, um, um, luck, again, has, has a lot to do with it. We, uh, um, our firm went after a project in the Cayman Island, and I think that up until that point, we were really focusing on just creating beautiful spaces, beautiful buildings, uh, sustainable uh, and beautiful buildings. And then I, I, we had a chance to work with um, an educator, um, Professor Stephen Heppel from the U.K. And I think that I just learned so much from him because he really kind of showed me that um, given what we know, given um, all, of, all the, um, the way that we think that we can engage kids uh, much more effectively in, in learning, that we really need to rethink um, the, in the environment. And then from that, that point, which is I think it was around 2000. Um, for 2005, it basically changed the way that I approached designing schools. And then um, it, it escalated to a point where we just got so involved in, in talking to educators and reading up on some of the latest um, 
uh, findings and, and discovering Howard Gardner or multiple intelligence, discovering all these great educators that, with this great idea, one of which is actually Sarah Elizabeth. Um, but, you know, we really can't do it by ourselves. We can't really advocate for these changes without the voice of, of the educators. So um, a lot of it is to think about design um, in a broader term, that we're trying to solve a much different problem. And in a way, it represents a different partnership in, in that um, designer and educators are really um, trying to solve um, a very complex problem together. And I think that this is really this, this front wave here, um, a new wave of trying to um, really, um, really tr rethink um, the multiple intelligent aspects of it and, and what, what I come away from it is saying that we know that all kids learn very differently. And the environment that we have right now is saying that there's kids only learn one way and there's only one way to teach them. Well, we know that's not true. Mm -hmm. So um, it's really calling for us to really deep, uh, dig a little bit deeper and come up with a diversity of, of teaching and learning spaces in order to satisfy this multiple intelligent aspect of how children learn. Well, and I think that's, that's really brilliant. And I'd love to have Sarah Elizabeth chime in on this. Sarah Elizabeth is the founder of the Global Academy um, for Citizenship, and uh, I'm sorry, the Academy for Global Citizenship in downtown Chicago, a very urban setting for a really revolutionary type of school that plays to the children's senses, multiple intelligences, and um, really integrates a holistic way of educating children. Sarah Elizabeth, from your perspective as an educator, how do you see this opportunity to collaborate with and to interface with the architecture and design community to create something more than just learning factories, you know, classrooms with desks and, you know, that's about all we need in schools. How, how do you see this 21st century opportunity before us? Well, I think it's an incredible opportunity, and we've really enjoyed working with OWP and P. Cannon Design because of their unique capacity to understand um, education and innovation and, and what, what this really looks like in the 21st century to create a facility that represents how children learn. That's, that's terrific. And it really is something brand new, something that, um, you know, I've certainly not heard of. Oftentimes, a lot of industry leaders will operate in a vacuum. You know, architects do their thing, engineers do their thing, urban planners do their thing. But we're beginning to see more and more of this collaboration, and I think that's very healthy. Now, Lee, you sit on the thesis review panel for the School of Architecture at my own alma mater, the University of Illinois, go Illini. and I. Um, what are you seeing out of today's architecture students? Can you kind of see your fingerprints on their work? I mean, are they using the third teacher as a textbook? Are they as passionate about sustainability and fostering the needs of our youth as you are? What are you seeing out there? Um, well, I, I actually see somewhat of a disconnect, right? I think that um, I'm, I'm quite surprised sometimes when I sit through project reviews that um, there's no mention of sustainable design, um, which, which I think is so fundamental at this point that um, all masters um, uh, candidates that graduate um, from the higher ed needs to have this as kind of ABCs rather than something that's unique. Um, so a little bit of a disappointment, and there, there's some uh, great instances where I, I do learn from um, um, academia in terms of some of the um, much more divergent in, in research and in thinking, 
So um, that's why I continue to um, participate in it, because sometimes um, you want to um, be an advocate for sustainable design and to say how important that is um, in the way that we think about um, the environment. And other times you, you actually end up learning something from it, so it's, 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 um, it's a good situation all around. Well, what I'm hoping, Lee, quite frankly, is that you, know, you and Sarah Elizabeth, together with folks like me and the media who really want to talk about this story, will end up replicating um, the successes that you are, that we're going to talk about in the next segment, that you are creating in the projects that you've worked on, to the extent that they become case studies for architecture students. I know that last summer I had an architecture student from Princeton who was going into her junior year and had never heard one single mention of green architecture, sustainable design, and that, that really surprised me. So I can, I can echo what you said there, Lee, and I'm hoping that will change based on the work of pioneers like you. Now, Lee, what do you think are the biggest obstacles? You've got a vision. You've got an exciting vision for what schools of the 21st century should look like, should function like, the buildings, how they live and they breathe. What do you think are the biggest obstacles to a universal application of your design philosophy to every newly built or remodeled school in the U.S.? What are we facing? No, what are we facing? We're facing status quo, right? We're facing the protection of status quo. Uh, we're, facing, we're facing the fear of change. Um, we're facing um, the ease of the the, the, um, the the easy path of just doing what we've been doing for the last two hundred years. Um, so that that's a huge part of it, um, the the uh, the shift in the attitude. And I guess um, obviously for me that's the harder part. Um, um, the the second is is just the challenges of of, of cost, uh, the challenges of of um, you know every every state and and um, our country is, is in um, pretty big, big debt right now. So um, the idea of spending money um, and and spending money on things that we haven't seen before um, is is a risk that I think we have to take um, because I think the status quo um, is not serving um, a huge part of huge population of of, uh, of kids who are dropping out of school every year, and that represents a huge cost too that um, people are starting to quantify. I think you're right. And you know what? We're going to be back after a quick commercial break, and we're going to dig into the details of this design philosophy and this education philosophy that Sarah Elizabeth and Lee have been talking about. And I, I buckle your seatbelts, folks. I think you're really going to be blown away when we dig into the details. So don't go away. We'll be right back with more Go Green Radio. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We are in the midst of a revolution. We're talking about green schools of the 21st century, how to create learning environments that really meet meet the needs of kids in the way that all the education research out there is telling us we need to do this. Today on Go Green Radio, we have two pioneers, the founding father, founding mother of an education and design philosophy that I think is going to change the world. Um, we have Trung Lee from Canada Design and Sarah Elizabeth Ippel, founder of the Academy for Global Citizenship in Chicago. And they have a project they're working on in downtown Chicago. But even more than that, they have some ideas that rock my world. You know, as well as I do, that our children are our most precious resource, and what they're talking about is something that could really foster generations of future Americans in the best possible way in an education system that really works for them. Well, Lee, in your recent article you wrote for Fast Company, you made a really interesting point that I want to spend a little time on. You said that McDonald's has a successful business model and that they build a restaurant to serve every 25 thousand people. So basically, we find a McDonald's in close proximity to just about any place we go in the U.S. You say we should build neighborhood schools along that same mindset. Talk to us about your rationale for smaller neighborhood-based schools. What's the idea behind that? Yeah, I think that the premise, the premise is that, um, um, you know, Friedman has this, this really powerful idea of the world is flat. And it's uh, it's true. It's true that right now the way that technology and um, 
um, everything about our modern life allowed um, uh, a small company in India to compete with a larger company in the U.S., right? So the world is kind of evened out. Right. But the reality, um, which, which, which I state in my articles by Richard Florida, um, that in reality um, the world is very spiky, that we have this concentration of populations all over the world. Um, Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, um, L.A., um, London, uh, Shanghai, we have these spikes. And these spikes, um, because of the concentration of population, it also represents culture, economy, um, arts, uh, health, public safety, education, and all of that is intertwined with, with our search for a new form of energy, right? And I think that we're, I, I, I sort of connected the, um, the idea that um, if, if spikes are really the reality of, of, um, of our new, uh, new planet, then, um, and it's really because of its critical um, capacity, it's, it's getting more efficient. But, um, but the, the one thing that, that I see in my city, uh, in Chicago, is that K-12 is really still struggling, right? Right. Um, our local NPR station did a story not so long ago where um, it basically cites statistics that 50% of minority kids do not make it out of high school. Mm-hmm. And that, that, is, that is a staggering statistic. And the 50 that makes it out of high school, you know, are they really ready for um, college? And ultimately, are they, are they really ready for this incredibly um, agile and exponentially changing world? Um, so for me, um, in order to make these spikes stronger and to make our planet more sustainable, then we have to focus on education at the most fundamental level, which is at the K-12 level. Right. And so right now, um, we built big, huge high schools, right, 2,000, 3,000 kids high school. And you have a huge amount of kids that's basically flowing through system. They're lost. They're just a number. Um, they're faceless. Um, and I think that what we need to do is create um, more community-based, um, smaller learning communities um, that are much more intimate, um, that are much safer, um, and and. Just on that factor alone, we can start to talk about energy. We can start to talk about minimizing or even eliminating all buses. We can talk about the health factor of more kids walking to school, even even in the winter time. Um, there's no reason why you know we shouldn't send our kids outside to play. At least I do. I send my kids out to play in a snowstorm because they love it. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not a hardship for them. So you can start to see that when we talk about sustainability and 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 um, it's an interconnected thing relative to an urban system. So that one move of creating smaller schools, more of them closer to homes, fundamental, fundamentally changed a lot of the stuff that, that, that's been a challenge for us to solve. Um, and obviously in urban, um, safety is a huge factor. Kids are actually crossing um, you know, gang division lines, um, invisible as they are, but they're there. Um, and it, it creates a huge safety factor for a lot of them. And if they don't feel safe, they're not going to start to learn. Right. 
you know, and that's one of the, the primary things that we need in life is to feel safe. Um, and I know that, you know, a lot of school districts have also been dealing with very primary needs like hunger and, you know, like you said, safety and this feeling of community. Sarah Elizabeth, as an educator, what's your take on smaller community-based neighborhood schools? What benefits do you see from an education standpoint to those types of arrangements? I think the small school sizes really do contribute to a unique school culture. You know, every adult at the Academy for Global Citizenship knows the name of every child, and each child is personally welcomed every morning they walk into our doors. So this familiarity with each and every child and each and every family really does foster greater parental engagement. And in all, I think it creates a a feeling of community among these parents and families. Um, This really does result in increased student performance. And, uh, you know, as Lee uh, mentioned, you know, these students are more likely to stay in school with that level of parental engagement. So from a financial perspective, there really is less funding required over time to support children in the system, uh, you know, in these smaller schools. Well, that all makes perfect sense, and now I don't mean to be a downer, but, you know, I, I've i spent a lot of time in my own local school district and going to school board meetings, and I can just imagine what school board members across the U.S. might be thinking at this moment. Um, I think there's probably not a one of them that wouldn't love to provide every child in their school, the school district that kind of experience. But the reality of financing that might be difficult. For instance, you know, the cost per student to educate kids, it it seems like, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong, would be lower if you pack more of them into bigger schools. You have lower overhead in terms of, you know, the number of principals, the number of playgrounds, the number of libraries that you would need uh, versus the number that you would need if you had you know, multiple smaller campuses. How how do we address that? I mean, how how can we adopt this philosophy that you all have so eloquently, you know, lined out for us and still maintain a reasonable cost per student budget? Um, well, I, I think that we have our priority really messed up, right? I think that... Um, um, we we don't have a problem spending um, billions and billions of dollars um, to secure energy abroad, right? We don't right. because we 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 label it as um, national security uh, reason why we have to spend the money. Well, um, I think that um, having a huge amount of of our kids dropping out um, is a national. Um, Safety or the health of a nation decreasing, um, and that and that has a huge cost impact. Um, I think the last time I was on your radio show and um, and, and talking about the state of California, it's on a, on a uh, path where you uh, Californians are about to spend more money um, on the prison system than on higher education, and and California is not the only one. Um, Illinois is not doing so well either. So um, when kids drop out, um, it is, it is, there's a cost factor there, right? Right. And I think that ultimately um, we, we just can't rely upon um, the state uh, government or the federal government to um, 
to start to um, reprioritize um, their their spending because they're they're not able to. I think that the business community now needs to get involved somehow. Um, I actually read an article uh, not so recently in, in the Times about a huge amount of money um, that are just being um, sitting on the sideline because uh, the investor just doesn't know where to invest the money. Um, they can't invest it in retail. They can't invest it in any more housing. Um, so, you know, there, there's, there's a formula there um, that says that um, invest in education. Um, I'm sure that um, there is a, a, um, a, you know, a business uh, model that, that it could work, that it could be um, a different way to invest money. But I think at this point, um, everybody needs to pitch in because um, the, the state of education um, is at a crisis. And um, if we don't do anything, and, and this is not really anything about the environment, this is just to state the fact that we need to spend um, more money wisely uh, in addressing some of these fundamental um, aspects of why, um, you know, learning is, is uh, in urban area not doing too well for kids. Well, and, you know, it's funny. We're in the middle of a political season. Midterm elections are coming up. And this is one of those things that inevitably will be, you know, in every candidate's stump speech, every time they go to a town hall meeting, they're going to talk about fixing potholes, fixing education, and, you know, two or three other things that always end up in the stump speeches. But, you know, maybe, maybe some of their staffers are going to wake up to, some new talking points, like what you guys are are addressing, and, and we'll actually have a real, uh, some real idea exchange. Well, we've got so much more going on right after this commercial break. We will be back with Lee and Sarah Elizabeth, so don't go away, folks. More Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. 
Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, folks. So glad to have you listening in. And uh, I'd like to announce our first winner of the Twitter contest. One of our wonderful guests today, Trung Lee, has offered to send five signed copies out to our contestants on Twitter who have been lighting up the, the board here trying to get a hold of his book. Our first winner is at Chris Kovac. He tweeted me at at Jill Buck and said, I want a copy of Lee's book, The Third Teacher. And there you go. He's going to get one on the way. If you'd like to win, it's not too late. Send me a tweet at at Jill Buck, at J-I-L-L-B-U-C-K, saying, I want the book, and we'll get you a copy. First five to get me a tweet will win a copy. Lee, I want you to talk to us about the Living Building Challenge. This is a really exciting concept to me. What is it, and why do you support it? Yeah, the Living Building Challenge, well, it's, it's new to me, too. Um, I think that all of us have um, been um, focusing on LEED um, these last few years and certainly um, designed many buildings that, that met the, the LEED um, standard. Um, the Living Building Challenge was authored by Jason McLennan. Um, I, I think he's an architect. I really don't know that much about him. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing, right? Um, and, and I'll tell you, I'll read um, really what, what they're all about, the International Living Building Institute. Um, it's trying to change the design profession, the contractors, um, the building owners, uh, create a foundation for a sustainable future in the fabric of our communities. They want to affect the politicians, uh, government officials, uh, to, uh, to really bring about systemic change to the way that uh, the entire market system um, is set up and industry. And, and lastly, is to all humanities, uh, reconcile the built environment with the natural environment. And the Living Building Challenge um, literally has seven pedals in which you have to satisfy um, site, uh, material site. You literally have to reallocate a huge percentage of your site uh, toward restoring it to um, what it was there before um, we kind of messed it up. Uh, materials. Um, materials that basically eliminate um, a, a host of uh, chemicals that's in the making of those materials, and they, they list them very clearly. Water, um, you basically do not think of water as something that you divert to um, the, um, the sewer system, that you basically save every single drop of that wa- uh, of water that land on your site and recycle it and use it or um, on, and clean it and divert it to um, its, its proper um, uh, 
funnel system. Um, there's there's a great sense about equity um, and and talked about um, social justice. Um, talked about beauty as as the the built environment and how that affects um, all of us. Uh, health, uh, uh, psychology, um, energy. Um, basically, to meet the living building challenge, you have to get to net zero, which means that um, you're basically generating your own energy. And then uh, lastly, health, um, that the environment that you're creating um, inside and outside needs to contribute and advance uh, human health. So again, like LEAD, it's incredibly holistic, but unlike LEAD, it is really, um, it's really radical change. It's trying to, to push the, the, the extreme edge of what we need to do in order to basically save the planet in the way that we built buildings and we built the built environment. Well, and how does this, um, how is this uniquely applied to schools? You know, I mean, you're designing school buildings for the 21st century. Talk to us about how this works. Well, I think that what Sarah Elizabeth and I are, are really focusing on is that we think that in order to um, create um, 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 a more balanced um, and sustainable, well, I hate to use sustainable anymore, but um, we have to restore back. We have to. We're, we're, we're way past um, what, what we need to do in order to make this um, um, a more balancing uh, resources in, in, on the planet. And there's no um, there's no better way than to focus on um, the younger generation because they are the caretaker, the future caretaker of the planet. I think that's why. Um, what we're doing, what we're focusing on in sustainable uh, design, sustainable strategies, um, it is so important to make that apparent, to really teach the next generation and, and get them to even um, beyond the biases that we have, to really change the way that they live and the way they think about the built environment. And, and there's no better place than the, the schools, really. There's really no, no better place than to start with them when they're really young. Um, and, and their school is really kind of that genesis of the way that they need to think very differently. Well, let's talk about specifically the project that you and Sarah Elizabeth are working on for the Academy for Global Citizenship. Um, Tell us about the project. You know, what's their current campus look like? Why do they need a new building? And what's it going to look like? Tell us what you're doing. Well, I, I would rather let Sarah Elizabeth talk about her vision first because okay. that vision really drives the way that we all think and the way that we're solving problems together. So That sounds good to me. Take it away, Sarah Elizabeth. Great. Well, to give you a sense of our current campus, we are actually located in a 12,000-square-foot building that used to be a barrel factory in a very industrial and underserved neighborhood on the southwest side of Chicago, right between a pallet company and a truck part shop. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the land that we've identified is just down the street, so right in the middle of the city we'll be able to continue serving our families. And it was an old trucking depot. And so our vision here is to turn this 10-acre piece of land into an urban farm and net positive energy building that will literally act, you know, as Lee had talked about, as a third teacher uh, for our students. And what is it about the new campus that you're looking forward to most? I mean, how is it going to be different, cool, you know, what have you? Well, just to give you, a, you know, a sense of, of, our, of our mission, um, you know, we really have this unique emphasis on environmental sustainability and serving the whole child. And um, 
you know, currently we engage our students in learning that extends far beyond the classroom. You know, our math and our science are intertwined with growing an organic garden. The language arts are incorporated as the students tend to our schoolyard chickens. And the health and wellness of our students, um, you know, are lived as, as the students walk to school and enjoy an organic breakfast and lunch. And we are able to achieve these you know, components in our, in our current space. But this new campus will take this all to the next level as every component is intentionally being designed as a learning tool. So whether it's, you know, whether it's the energy-generating playground or the community farm stand, the solar-powered carports, the urban yurts that will house international volunteers who will come to participate in our learning community or volunteer on the farm, you know, every square foot has been envisioned to foster inquiry and experiential learning. Well, that sounds awesome. What I'd love to do is have you expound upon some of those things that you mentioned. Uh, what is an energy-creating playground? Never heard of that before. That sounds fascinating. Tell us more. Sure. Well, it's actually something that, that emerged from our students this year as they were studying for six weeks. They were starting studying architecture, and they actually went down on a field trip to OWP and P. Cannon Design and um, were particularly interested in how we could create playground equipment that, that generates energy. And uh, they were inspired to see, you know, the solar trellis um, that is being designed to be implemented in our schoolyard that we received through some grants. And we currently have a demonstration wind turbine that's, that's put intentionally in our school parking lot for our students to observe. And so they began asking these questions to their teachers and began doing research. You know, these students are seven years old. And, um, you know, it was really from their inspiration and their creativity that, uh, you know, the architects and engineers began talking about what it would take to create a playground or a schoolyard that could actually generate energy. That's so cool. I love that idea. And when do you expect that to be completed? I mean, when is this um, scheduled to be open for the world to see? Well, our our timeline at the moment is to have this project completed or at least the first phase of the project completed in 2013-2014. You know, when you're developing a 10-acre site, there's going to be a lot of land to be developing and soil to be remediating and animals to be incorporating and things to be growing. So it's going to be an ongoing journey. That's exciting. Now tell us more about the, did you say community farm stand or what, what was that? Yes. Um, you know, the, the whole emphasis here with this amount of land is to really create a catalyst for the community and to really engage our, our neighbors and our families and, and our surrounding um, neighborhood, you know, as a way of reaching this overall objective with environmental sustainability. And so um, we've intentionally looked at the, the spaces within the, the site to see how we can create multiple avenues for using them. So, you know, in the evenings, for example, our community center, which during the day is used as a yoga studio and as a, uh, a lunchroom, will t- be turned into a space where commun- community members can come and take organic gardening classes and nutrition classes. Um, perhaps we'll have an organic cafe that will serve our families from the food that's being grown on site. Um, and the, you know, the community farm stand will be uh, a place where families can come come and actually sell their produce that is grown on the site. We plan to have um, community garden plots that will be accessed by members of the community and uh, look to really engage our parents, engage the community alongside these children in, um, in this learning process. 
You know, I love what you're saying on so many levels. I mean, of course, because I'm a green advocate, I love the whole environmentally conscious and responsible aspect of this. But one of the things I love the most is that you are going back to a really old school idea that the schoolhouse becomes a pivot point, a a vortex of the community. It's a gathering place for the community. It's not just a daycare center to send your kids to while you go to work. It's something much, much more than that. And actually, when I met Lee, it was at an architectural record-sponsored Schools of the 21st Century conference in San Diego, and that was one of the things I implored the architects to think about, is when you're talking about building a school, build it to last, because we want this to be a community centerpiece where grandparents take their grandchildren to the same kindergarten room that they went to. I mean, this is what... I really love about what you're talking about, something that's sustainable on many levels. Well, we are going to talk about something huge in the next segment. We're going to talk about how to fund this bad boy, how to fund something on this scale, and how to do it in a big way so the entire American population gets a chance to provide this for their children. So don't go away, folks. We're going to be right back with hard-hitting green news on Go Green Radio right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? or 14%. Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Interstate Sportsman Talk Radio Show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice America Network with hunting and fishing info news. Talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join hosts Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern, for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America channel. Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. 
Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We are talking with Trung Lee and Sarah Elizabeth Ippel. They are working on a revolutionary project in an urban area in south side of Chicago, not far from where my hubby grew up. Um, Sarah Elizabeth is the founder of the Academy for Global Citizenship, and they are embarking upon a project to build a new, green, sustainable, unbelievably cool school campus. And it's in a downtown urban area that, you know, we don't typically think of as, you know, this really bright and wonderful place to foster young minds because our urban schools have been hurting. We all know that. But she and Lee have been working together on a project that, you know, I just, I can't wait to see. I can see it in my mind's eye, and I can't wait to see it with my own eyes. Now, Sarah Elizabeth, you are such a go-getter, and your enthusiasm is contagious, and I just know that there are folks out there, probably a lot of principals saying, oh, she's my hero. I want a school like this. I want to do what she's doing. I want to revolutionize the campus that I lead um, for the benefit of my students, these precious kids. But you know what? They're probably daunted because budgetary concerns being what they are, boy, this seems like a tough project. Give us some encouragement. Tell us how you're doing it. How do we afford to provide this kind of learning space for more communities outside of your own? Well, you know, in terms of advice, I would, I would say definitely create a vision and be relentless about your objectives, be relentless about your mission. Um, it's been so important for us to surround ourselves with innovators who are striving toward this sustainable change. And, you know, our director of sustainability uh, at the Academy for Global Citizenship, Dan Schnitzer, often says to visiting educators who have that daunted look on their face, he says, you know, change starts with a single step. Do you want to go for a walk? And I love that. I love that. It, you know, it definitely um, reminds us that, that we need to start somewhere. Um, you know, and in terms of as this financial and, and budget piece, it really is a matter of priorities. Um, you know, it is, it is not about resources. It's about resourcefulness. And, you know, as I consider the statistics, um, you know, and some of the things that have been mentioned, it, it really doesn't appear to me that we have much of a choice but to urgently invest in these models that are supporting a healthier and more sustainable future, not only for our children but our economy and our planet. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I think it's just a matter of how people are waiting for someone to create a replicable template, and I really think that you very well may, and people will be following in your footsteps. You know, Lee, you and I kind of talked via email about an article from Fortune that really the, the connection between what you're talking about and what this article was talking about is uncanny and cannot be denied. Um, the article was talking about billionaire peer pressure to become what Warren Buffett calls great givers. I want you to talk about what this group of billionaires is considering and how you think it could relate to this question of funding a new American education system. Well, yeah, I think that um, all of us have uh, been following that, that article quite closely. Um, you know, Bill Bill Gates has been uh, doing remarkable things, not only in education but also in health. Um, 
around the world. And um, Warren Buffett had basically um, let the Gates Foundation in charge of uh, the money to, to be given away. And the two of them have uh, now has this idea that they're encouraging um, the billionaires around the world to um, give half of their wealth away. Well, you know, to, to give money away toward um, a black hole, I, I don't think is really satisfying. And and I just and and really, um, when when that article surfaced, I got an email from Sarah Elizabeth that said that you know what we we got to do something about this because that's, it seems like these people need a cause, and I just can't think of a greater cause than uh, for them to uh, to take on this this challenge to take on uh, take on this cause and to start to sponsor um, schools that are willing to take uh, chances to to rethink to redesign, to re-envision um, a much different learning environment that really uh, not only educate minds for the 21st century, but also to teach them about how and, and strategy uh, that we have to, um, in, uh, have to implement, really, to, to, to save our planet. Well, and you know what's what's kind of cool about what you're suggesting is that you know these billionaires didn't become billionaires by accident. They invested their time and their resources in projects that they could measure the return on investment. When you talk about investing in education, you're really talking about investing in human beings. And so the return on investment is long-lasting. It's not like, you know, an SEC quarterly report that, you know, the return on investment for something is, you know, a few months to a year. You're talking about potentially a return on investment for generations. This is a project that could land them in history books, you know. I mean, a real pivot point in the way that children are educated um, and the difference that it made in the society. I mean, this is a history-making uh, legend-building kind of undertaking, and I think it's really, really exciting. Now, if you were going to give, you know, Sarah Elizabeth, imagine yourself going into a room with all of these billionaires. Think of yourself going into a room with Warren Buffett, there's Bill and Melinda Gates, there's Oprah Winfrey. What in the world would you say to them in, you know, a couple minutes that would convince them to invest? Well, education is the foundation of, of any successful society. And, you know, most who know me know me as an idealist. And, you know, but yet, you know, here I, I say that we're living in a time when our optimism has, has face, is facing such great challenge. You know, as I consider the state of our economy, the health of our humanity, the, kid, the condition of our educational system, the status of our planet, you know, we're living in a time where the world is screaming for audacious and sustainable solutions. And the only way that we're going to create this lasting change is through the education of our next generation. You know, as you were mentioning, many of these political and environmental and educational challenges today are the results of these short-term objectives, whether it's these corporate quarterly profits or purchasing cheaper food or no child left behind. It's really the short-term, the short-term thinking that's dictating our policy and, and really failing our nation. So I would say that addressing and healing these ills will not only come from a real commitment to sustainable, long-term and committed approach, but really thinking big. And I really wonder at this point, what if we don't change the way that we're preparing our children in such an environmentally volatile and globally competitive nature of this world? And what if 
you know, what would happen if, if beyond preparing them to survive, we prepared them to thrive? So, you know, we're really excited about seeking a visionary funder who will be relentlessly committed to achieving this goal of creating a replicable living laboratory, a prototype that will shift the way systems across the globe will educate our next generation to excel in a world that depends on the state of our planet. Somebody recently shared with me this quote um, from John Wooden, if you don't have time to do it right, when will you have time to do it over? Oh, that's excellent. That's excellent. Gosh, if I were a billionaire, I'd write you a check right now, Sarah Elizabeth. That was a great that was a great pitch and it's convincing and it's compelling and it must be done. Boy, I'll tell you folks, this is where it's at. I think that we're going to have to get Lee and Sarah Elizabeth out on the road and uh, or or virtually out on the road somehow to carry this message because there's nothing more important than the future of our children, future of our country, um, and, and what they're talking about could make all the difference in the standard of living that we hope to leave to our children. Um, in the 30 seconds or so that we have left, Lee, if we could do this on a large scale, what do you think the environmental impact would be of creating these kinds of sustainable schools? What's the bottom line from a green perspective? Fundamental shift. We would be changing uh, construction industry. We would be changing the way that people make products for buildings. We would be changing the way that energy is delivered to us. We would be changing the way that we conceive and think about energy. And we will be changing the way in which we've been teaching um, uh, children um, just by the, 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 the shift in the way that we design um, these new facilities. That's no small order. That's a big change, change we can believe in. I guess we can, all that stuff. I really believe that what you two are embarking upon is going to catch on like wildfire and, you know, bless you for what you're doing. Folks, we've got more Go Green Radio next week, same time, same place, so come back and see us when we're on again. Till then, uh, suggest this podcast. It's going to be archived in just a few hours to all your friends. Spread this archived podcast around because what Lee and Sarah Elizabeth have shared with us today is a huge idea that I really feel like could define the 21st century. Thanks so much for joining us, Lee and Sarah Elizabeth, and thanks so much for joining us on Go Green Radio. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.